We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Transformative Principal Podcast, where we learn how to be an amazing educational leader. I am your host, Jethro Jones. Are you ready to be a transformative principal? I'm looking for about 10 people who are ready to do what it takes to lead with integrity, find balance, and take your school to the next level. If you're looking to improve your leadership in a measurable way, go to transformativeprincipal.org slash mastermind to see if you qualify to join a group of like-minded people who are ready to be the best principals in the country. Welcome to Transformative Principal. Today, I'm continuing my conversation with John Harper, host of the My Bad podcast on BAM Radio Network, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. We're going to talk about some of the cool things that John does at his school, talk about restorative practices and why he calls his groups, his classes, families. Pretty good conversation, and I hope you can learn from John and be more comfortable sharing some of the things that you struggle with because it makes us all better when we're open about that. If you wouldn't mind taking a minute and hitting the share button on this and sharing it on Twitter or Facebook and letting others know that you're learning from the guests on my podcast, I would greatly appreciate that. The more people who listen, the better it will be for all of us to learn together from these amazing people that are taking the time to share their wisdom with us. So thank you so much. And here's the second part of my interview with John Harper. Yeah, I'd like to talk a little bit about your school and some of the cool things that you're doing at your school. So what's one thing at your school right now that you are the most excited about? I think I'm most excited about the fact that we have adopted the philosophy of using restorative practices this year. And I guess for those listeners that don't know, restorative practices basically means you're when something has happened, say, for example, maybe you had two kids get into a fight or maybe there was a disagreement and it wasn't too, too serious, then instead of simply just jumping right to punishment, what you do maybe with the two students or what you do a lot of times with the class is you work really hard to restore the relationship. And I've sat in and moderated very powerful, we call our classrooms families, very powerful family meetings in which you, re- you rebuild the relationship in the classroom. You rebuild what's going on. I mean, we had 
I'll never forget a classroom where a kid had, I think, maybe smacked a kid or hit a kid. I mean, it wasn't too bad, but it obviously wasn't appropriate, and it was the wrong thing to do. And I said, you know what, we're going to have a family meeting right now. And I sat down with this class, and first of all, you know, I asked the class, were they ready to have this conversation? They were. And we just sat down and we talked about how it made them feel. Instead of simply just pulling a kid out right away, giving him punishment, a lot of times we're able to restore the dynamic in that classroom, the warmth and the love. And we sat with each person shared how it made them feel. And then at the end, I said, okay, do you want this student, do you feel comfortable having this student back in your class right now? And I was going to honor whatever they said because I think the person had maybe smacked somebody or punched somebody. And they all wanted the kid back in there. And even the kid who was the one who was hit said, no, we want him back in here because, you know, we don't leave anybody behind. And I was like, wow, that was a powerful moment right there that before we did restorative practices, before we used them, we never would have had that. But, you know, it took 10 or 15 minutes, but those 10 or 15 minutes were powerful and they showed just what it's all about. I mean, obviously there are times where certain things are of an egregious nature where you do have to remove someone from a classroom, but a lot of times you can restore it with a family meeting. And whereas you might lose 10 or 15 minutes of math or language arts, you gain skills that you're going to stick with you for a lifetime on how to rebuild relationships and how to forgive. Yeah. What a powerful story. One of the things that, uh, that I've seen so many times is how kids are able to forgive so much faster than adults. Have you had that experience as well? I have, yes. Kids are amazing at forgiving. They are absolutely amazing. I had a, a case, uh, never forget, a couple years ago where I think a kid had, it was maybe maybe a first grader, had hit a couple kids. And we sat down and I had a conversation with this kid and I think it was maybe a, two other kids. I can't remember if it was boy or girl. And I said, you know, what, what do you think we should do? And, you know, all of a sudden, these two kids, I think they were probably six or seven years old, they said, well, maybe we should make him a present. And I thought, what? What? I thought, <laughs> I thought you two were just hit, and your solution is maybe we should make him a present. And it was basically, they could tell that this kid was sad and hurting inside, and maybe he was doing it because he was hurting. And I was like, holy cow. Here I am thinking, okay, what am I going to do to this? What am I going to do? Is this kid going to lose this, that, or the other? And these two little cherubs just said, maybe we should make him a gift. And I'm like, wow, I've, I've got a lot to learn. You two are much smarter than my, I am. It was just yeah. amazing. That's awesome. You know, I've always been fascinated by how kids can get over things and move on. And we always talk about how kids are uh, resilient and they can handle these difficult situations better than we think. And I, I think about how great of an example they are to us that we can just move on. I've got one teacher who is so good at forgiving kids that the kids can do anything in her class, which they never do because they know she loves them so much, but she just moves right on. Like it's nothing. And a kid, I've seen a kid flip his lid and, be upset with her about something. And then 30 seconds later, she's like, okay, are you done? All right, let's get back to work. I'm so glad you're in my class. And it's like, what? That is amazing. <laughs> like that kid knows that he's in a, in a safe place that is going to be able to make mistakes and get back. And, and it's just powerful. Why do you call your classrooms families? Tell me a little bit about that. I think it's because, I mean, this is a group of people, usually, you know, 15 to 25, depending on the size that, it's pretty much together all day, and we want each room to have that family feel. And each every day actually starts with a family meeting, and the meetings are meant to build trust. The meetings are meant to build, build love, build empathy, build sympathy. And you know, I think unless 
once you have that family, I think anything is possible. And, you know, a lot of these kids don't have that outside of school. I mean, a lot of them do, but there's kids that go home and they don't have the same warmth. They don't have the same love. I mean, oftentimes, you know, many of us, we love Friday nights. We look forward to Friday nights. We plan our Friday night dinners. We think about what we're going to do on the weekend. Whereas I have a lot of students that I know are not looking forward to Friday night. They're looking forward to Monday morning when they come back to school and they get breakfast and they get those hugs and those high fives and they're back in that classroom family again. And even though they might be showing off and even though they might be acting up, that's the best part of their day. That's the best part of their week is when they're in the school. So I think we try to replicate the ideal family atmosphere, whatever that may be, quote unquote. Yeah. And what have you done to create that emphasis? Like you can't just start saying guys were a family and then think that everybody's going to believe it. So you have meetings every morning where you talk about that. What else do you do to, to build that feeling of family at school? Do a lot of team building activities. In other words, in the very beginning of the year, the first couple of weeks, there were a lot of team building activities where people had to work together. And, you know, the, the math and the language arts, you know, that took a backseat for the first couple of weeks. I mean, obviously, we still had those, and you know, social studies and science, but activities in which kids had to show trust, in which they had to be a little bit vulnerable, and they sit in a circle. We don't force kids to join because sometimes there's kids that just aren't ready to join the circle. Some days... Kids might come in and they don't want to join the circle, just like just like adults. You know, sometimes there's times where we're just not ready to join a group. But I think it's it's like you said with that one teacher. I think it's always accepting someone back into your family each day is really important. And it's hard. It's hard. You know, you have to use the uh, the Q-tip philosophy and you quit taking it personally. Yeah, I love that one. It's very hard because the job is very personal because we put a lot of time into it. And you know, like you said in the beginning, you, know, you can put 15 hours into your lesson. And all of a sudden, a kid can come in and just blow it to shreds, and you want to lose it. But then you realize it's got nothing to do with you. Oftentimes, you know, a lot of times, kids project their anger, and even as adults, we project our anger on the people that's close, the person that's closest to us, not the person that we're always angry with. Yeah. What are some of the things that you do to help people learn how to not take it personally? I think one thing I do is try to really, for me, I try to learn students' stories, I try to learn teachers' stories, and I try to inspire and get teachers to do the same. I think once you really learn someone's story and you know more about them, you can't feel what they feel, but you have an understanding of where they're coming from. And things seem to make a lot more sense. For example, I'll never forget probably, gosh, it was almost seven, eight years ago, I had a kid, I was called to the bus or I, was, I, think, I think I was out when the buses were unloading one morning. And I see this kid jump off the bus and just fly into this other kid and just roundhouse punch him in the shoulder. And I thought, holy cow, what just happened? I got a hold of this kid and stormed into my office. I had the, other, the kid who he hit come with me, and I was livid. I was thinking, what in the world just happened? And I was so angry. And when I finally stopped talking and gave him a chance to share, he said, Mr. Harbor, so-and-so stole my bike last night from behind my shed and he's been on the bus bragging about it to everybody on the bus and so I had to stop for a second and I thought wow I said well you know if somebody stole my car if somebody steals my car tonight and then rides around the neighborhood bragging about how they stole my car I'm going to be pretty angry too and so I think if I hadn't known that if I hadn't just stopped and listened to this student and heard about his story and heard what's going on 
I would have had a completely different opinion of what took place. Now, that doesn't justify him punching someone, but it helps me understand it better. I think the more we can learn kids' stories, sometimes, you know, when you take a kid home, sometimes, or you pick a kid up, and you see what they're going through, that can give you a much better understanding of what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. One of the difficult parts of that is is making those judgments about what their life is like based on just a little snapshot, you know. We do these home visits before the school year to all of our kids' houses and we get to see their houses and some of the other people express concern that we may, you know, offend somebody because we see what they what their life is like and I mean the reality we live on an island, so you know, everybody knows everybody anyway. There's only 11,000 people here. So everybody knows where everybody lives and we know what people's home situations are. But what we saw was that people were excited to see us at their homes and they loved having us there. And it was short, hey, how you doing? And then we move on. But it was still a powerful thing for us to do to be able to just reach out and say, we're excited to have you come to school this year. And, you know, something... As little as that, getting an insight into what what their home life might be like. There was one student that, when we got there, saw that these two kids that were always at each other's throats at school the previous year, they lived together. And we had no idea. But they were like cousins or something, had different last names. And the reason they were always at each other's throats is because they were together all the time and <laughs> were so used to like fighting at home that right. they just kept fighting at school. Once we saw that, we were like, well, let's split them up a little bit more and give them a little bit of space between each other so they're not in the same classes all day long. And it was amazing. Just knowing that they lived together that we had no idea of before helped us understand how we could better serve those particular kids. No, that's powerful. I think uh, we did something – we have a family and student liaison, and we did something similar this summer where we just got a backpack full of books and just – walked around a couple different communities and just started handing out books. It was a summer. It was hot. It was like 90 degrees, and it was you know the middle of the summer. And I think people were probably looking at us like, who in the world are these guys? Because they probably thought we were trying to sell something. But we were just you know, stopping by trying to hand out books to some students and say, you know, we're looking forward to seeing this coming school year. And I think it, it meant a lot. I mean, I think one parent even put it on Facebook. She said, you know, it's good to see John and, and Devin walking around handing out books. I mean, it was just little, little things like that make a big difference. Yeah, they totally do. And it's it's easy to do little things like that. And it doesn't cost a lot of money. What are some of the other little things that you've done that you think really help make kids feel welcome in your school? I think how you greet them in the morning. I think just hugs, high fives, just really recognizing recognizing them. Eating lunch with them sometimes. We have a, we have some teachers that will eat lunch with students. I mean, it's their it's their duty free lunch, so they don't have to. But a lot of times they'll have a couple kids and they'll eat lunch with them. And it's those bonds they form that you know later on lets that kid know, okay, this teacher really cares about me. It's you know remembering a kid's got a game the next day. It's it's forgiving. It's forgiving a kid for making a mistake and giving them a fresh start each day. You know, the kid may have done something the day before. Kid may have hollered at you the day before, but they come in the next day and you you welcome them with the biggest hug and the biggest smile. And it it means a lot. It means a lot to the kids. And I think, you know, not, not, not judging them, not judging them at all, but just taking them for who they are because we want the same from them. One of the parts of that is how do you help teachers figure out what they can do to reach out to kids? How do you inspire teachers to do 
that aspect of it and to, I know teachers do it all the time, but like, how do you push teachers to do just a little bit more, go a little bit further in, in reaching out and connecting with kids? That's a good question. And that's a tough one, I think, because there's more and more and more on teachers' plates these days. I mean, I don't know if it's like that where you are, but where I am, teachers have more and more to do. And I think they're really tired. And I think sometimes, you know, they really need that 30 minutes by themselves just to eat lunch and have some quiet time. But I think one of the best things, I think, who is it? Uh, Maybe Albert Schweitzer, I think, said, you know, the example isn't the main thing influencing people. It isn't the only thing influencing people. It's the main thing or something like that. In other words, I try to lead Mm -hmm. by example. And I think it's easier for me in that I'm able to have a lot more one-on-one and two-on-one conversations with kids, whereas teachers have classrooms. And so it's sometimes tougher for them. But, you know, we have a lot of amazing folks at my school who, like I say, do stay after school for free and just to get to know the kids and have running clubs and have young gentlemen's clubs or young ladies clubs and who take kids to the movies on the weekend that might not normally get to go see a movie, who might you know take take a kid somewhere and give them an experience that they might not have. And I've seen that pay off time and time again. And it's not easy because, you know, nobody has, you know, for free time, who has free time? But the time spent in on the front end is always worth it in the back end. And it's very tough. So I think getting teachers to do that is is tough. But teachers, I mean, teachers are amazing. I think it's just their if we see teachers that we think aren't doing that, a lot of times it's just because, you know, they might have a family to go home to and they're very, very tired. And maybe they're there till seven o'clock planning their lesson for the next day. And so, you know, they might not be the, the teacher who is the connected educator on Twitter, you know, like you and I are or something like that. They might not know anything about the stuff that we do on Twitter or podcasts or go to conferences, but they're that teacher who gets there at seven in the morning and stays till six and then goes home and takes care of their family. And I think it's just valuing teachers in different ways is so important. And we really have to know what we're looking for and just have to be open. Because, I mean, I'll be honest, until 2000, I think it was 14, I mean, I wasn't on Twitter at all. I had no idea what this was all about. And ever since then, I've become addicted. Yeah. <laughs> I know how that is. That same thing happened to me. So, you know, one of the things that, that I think that you're insinuating is you go back to learning people's stories. And if a teacher's not doing it, then you learn their story and find out why. And then you can either understand or you can find the right way to approach them about, about building better relationships. In regards to that, the other part is teachers have so much put on them already. And I really want every teacher I work with to get back to recognizing that it's about kids first like there's tests and there's assessments and there's you know evaluations and all those things but really we are here for that individual student each student in our classes not just for the data or for and those things are important but really it's about kids and growing and there have been many times when i've seen a kid who needed something and went ahead and gave that kid what they needed rather than what the handbook said they needed or what, you know, conventional wisdom would say. For example, I let a girl take a nap in my office the other day and then let a boy take a nap in my office the next day. Those kids needed that more than they needed what they were going to get in class and they weren't going to get what they were going to get in class anyway. So it it wasn't a loss for them to to be taking a nap, but those recognizing we're doing it for kids is is important. Absolutely. John, the last question that I ask is what can someone do this week to be a transformative principal like you? I think 
I would like for folks listening to this to be inspired to the next time they meet with a teacher or the next time they meet with a student or a parent to share some of their flaws because I think it's so powerful and it it opens up the conversation so much. I mean, I've done this recently with with students. I've done it with parents and I've done it with teachers. I mean, I've shared big, big mistakes that I've made. I mean, I share them on my bad and I'm sure people listen to them and think, you know, how does John still have a job sometimes? But, <laughs> you know, I think once you do that, it allows kids and teachers and parents to feel, okay, maybe this guy gets it. Maybe this guy gets it, you know? I mean, I'll, I'll sit down with students and the student might, maybe they were sent to me or maybe they had just cursed. I said, okay, look, you know, I, I get it. I get angry. And there's times in my life when I curse and I shouldn't, I realize that's wrong. And you you, you just got to work on that. But I think, you know, if, if a kid comes to my office and automatically I say, you know what, you should, you're awful for cursing. Cursing is bad. You're a bad person. You know, that's, that's not right because we, we've all lost our temper. Or if a teacher, you know, comes to me and they've, they've made a mistake in judgment. Maybe they were angry and they did something they shouldn't have. You know, I'll share a mistake about a time where I've done the same thing. I mean, I talk about, you know, different things that I may have shared on my bad before. And I think if we can just share our mistakes and show our flaws, I think it'll help the people around us feel a lot better about themselves and feel as if they don't have to be perfect all the time. Yeah, that's great advice, John. How can people connect with you and uh, learn more about what you're doing and your website, Twitter, all that? On Twitter, I am at John Harper 70 BD. It's uh, J-O-N-H-A-R-P-E-R 70 and then B for Bailey, D for Derek. Those are my two kids. And my biggest project I'm working on right now is my podcast, like you mentioned, My Bad, and that's on BAM Radio Network. And then I also blog for BAM Radio as well. But My Bad is my passion. It's what I love to do, and it's what I hope to spend you know the next 15 to 20 years of my life doing. Awesome. That sounds great. And uh, I've got links to that in the show notes at transformativeprinciple.org. John, thank you so much for being a part of the show today. Thank you, Jethro. It's been my honor. I must say, I think the Q-tip strategy is one of the best. Quit taking it personally. Make sure you do that. We can all be easily offended, and that's a choice that you make. And please make the choice to not take it personally. Thank you so much for listening. And if you don't mind taking a minute to leave me a review for this in iTunes, there's a link in the show notes for you to go leave a review that helps other people see it and learn more from these amazing people who are so gracious and wonderful to be guests on the Transformative Principle podcast. Have a great day. Transformative Principle is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcast for educators by educators. Visit edupodcastnetwork.com for more great podcasts. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com slash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time 
without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE.